Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your goodness and love to us. We thank you for camp meeting and a time to just come apart and, and commune with you and be with each other. We ask you now to speak to us. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. Give us, give us information to think through. But most importantly, give us conviction on how we can live differently to your glory, to hasten your soon coming, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. I think we all know, it goes without saying, that media can be used in a positive way. My calling and my job as I've traveled around and done these media on the brain seminars and now the media mind seminar is to, to cause us to think and ask the Lord to speak to us in our media use. And, and how is this perhaps disrupting our relationships with each other, our relationships with our Lord? And is it possible that this thing that can be a great tool is also becoming a massive stumbling block, perhaps the greatest stumbling block in people's lives today? And so we're going to look at that today from the point of view of the disconnected childhood. Now, if you're coming in wondering about this, okay, this is a session about child development, child me childhood media use. Does this apply to me? I want to share a few quotations. I want to pray first, but I want to share a few quotations that will help everybody go, okay, yes, this matters to all of us. Before I give you those quotes, the conference asked me to send this around. Just put initials on that. They're just counting our seminar attendance there. Just put, a, put your initials on that. And for anybody who wasn't here yesterday, pass that one around as well. And you can sign in for the email uh, newsletter as well for Belt of Truth Ministries. Now here's the quotes I promised you. One who has long been our instructor was speaking to the people. He said, the subject of education should interest, watch this, the whole Seventh-day Adventist body. Now, if you're coming in not as a Seventh-day Adventist, you get to kind of hear an in-house discussion here from this quotation. But this is a mandate for members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church that we should be interested in child development. They called it education. The decisions regarding the character of our schoolwork should not be left wholly, wholly to principals and teachers. Now, I love doing seminars on education, true education, and all of that. We're not talking about the schoolwork, but the quotation still applies. If we are members of this faith community, this remnant church, then we should take a deep interest in the development of the children. It goes on and says there is no work more important than the education of our youth. The church is asleep and does not realize the magnitude of this matter of educating the children and youth. God requires that the church arouse from her lethargy and see what is that manner of service demanded of her at this time of peril. The lambs of the flock must be fed. The Lord of heaven is looking on to see who is doing the work he would have done for the children and youth. That's a mandate for all of us, isn't it? Are we doing the work for the children and youth or are we asleep in a lethargy? As a church, as individuals, if we would stand clear in the judgment, wow, that's a strong preface. If we would stand clear in the judgment, we must make more liberal efforts for the training of our young people. So if you don't have kids in the home or you're not in that uh, the phase of life right now where kids are kind of in the picture, think through this from the standpoint of this last generation, Lord willing, that is coming up that will finish the work. These little raising the remnant people who can go forth with that message. It is all of our job to be helping that and feeding the little lambs of the flock if we would stand clear in the judgment. So this session is about the disconnected childhood. So we're going to talk about media use in childhood today. But just a little review from yesterday. We saw yesterday that the media mind, and you'll actually be able to see it on the screen this time. This was off the screen the whole time last time, driving everybody crazy, including myself. But we saw that the media mind is checked out. Remember the guy walking into the manhole on his phone, and we're walking into incoming traffic, and totally oblivious to those around us. 
The mind of Christ, though, engaged, engaged in every respect of what that means to be human again. We saw how to be human again. We saw physiological effects of excessive media use with increased myopia rates and nearsightedness, which they call screen-sightedness. We saw a forward head posture that is, that is the, the malady of a generation because of so much uh, hunching. We saw many different um, cell phone-related injuries and such on, on the physiological, but more important than the physiological effects of media use, the media mind becomes deceivable. When you just bathe yourself in nonstop inputs from media sources, mainstream media, worldly media, social media, then we become more and more conformed to this world. But God wants us to be not conformed, but what? transformed by the renewing of our minds so the mind of Christ becomes critically thinking. We've been invited to be thinkers, not mere reflectors of other men's thoughts. And that's what this seminar is all about too, prompting us to think. The media mind we saw is tired. You remember seeing the sleep deprivation data. The mind of Christ engaged. That one was pretty amazing when you saw how, how indeed um, the sleep deprivation problems are skyrocketing in this culture in which we live. I wanted to show you this quotation that I didn't get to yesterday from Dr. Larry Rosen, who talked about this with teen use of media close before bed. He found that they're using it in the middle of the night as well. In one study, we found that the most students used their phones right up to the minute when they closed their eyes and attempted to fall asleep. And not just that, three quarters of students slept with their phones on or set to vibrate and close in hand, often in hand. In fact, researchers were astounded by how many teenagers are sleeping with the cell phone under their pillow on. So it's right up against their head with that radiation effect as well, EMF radiation. Roughly half of them check their phones in the middle of the night for reasons other than to check the time social media being the main culprit, and uh, adults as well. We saw information about adults, 95% of us using our uh, phones in the hour before bedtime, and that blue light frequency. Here's a little practical tip. I realized I didn't give you quite enough practical tips because I was trying to amputate and, and, and surgically remove enough of the content to be able to fit it into one hour, and I, I feel like this one got, got the boot and shouldn't have gotten the boot. I love these glasses. They are really, really fashionable and really cool looking, not really actually, but they block blue light frequencies. So you throw those on in the hour or two before bed and it helps to block that, you know, we got fluorescent lights, we got LED lights, sometimes we are using screens in the evening time and this can help to mitigate some of those problems and, and give us a more restful sleep, which the Bible says he will give it, giveth his beloved sleep. And that's a wonderful promise of the Bible we saw yesterday. We also saw that the media mind is not well, and we're going to see that more today and tomorrow. The mental health problems, a mental health crisis that is emerging over excessive media use. But we saw the mind of Christ is healing. You remember Dr. Victoria Dunkley's practice where she's had you know, hundreds of, of, of children coming into her practice with all of these major psychiatric disorders. And the parents are at their wit's end, and they're, what do we do? She puts them on a media fast. Do you remember the numbers? 80% of her patients had the majority of their symptoms disappear just from withholding particularly interactive screen-based media use, video games, and, and, and use of, of, um, of smart devices in, in childhood. People ask me, by the way, I want you to email me. My email is scottritzema at gmail.com. If you have any questions as we go through the week, I want to hear the questions. I'll try to work that into the seminar or, or, or just I can answer you on email too. 
Email me your questions. The only questions I got yesterday, they were not about the content at all, which is okay. People were like, how do we get her book? How do we pre-order the Media Mind series? So I'll answer those right now, but I'd prefer even giving me your content questions. ScottRitzema at gmail.com. So you can get that book, Reset Your Child's Brain, at beltoftruthministries.com. You can order it right, at, right there on the store page. And this one doesn't come out till September. So you guys are hearing like a sneak peak of the DVD series that's going to be on satellite media and going to be in a lot of people's hands come September. So this is kind of a fun experience where we're taking the training wheels off together. But if you want the full experience where it's not amputated and surgically and, you know, it's, it's the, the professional quality uh, production, the DVDs that you can share with people, go to the website, beltoftruthministries.com, pre-order the media mind, and you get a discount right now in June. Just put in June at checkout, and that will give you the $15 off. The last thing we saw was, oh, I already said that. So we're on to the next thing of the day, the disconnected childhood. I want to start with a story about Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was asked by an interviewer before he died about this new device that was about to hit the store shelves. It was called the, the, the iPad, right? The tablets were now going to be taking the world by storm. And the journalist asked him, Mr. Jobs, what do your kids think of this device? I mean, they just must be gaga over this. It's the neatest thing ever invented, right? Do you know what he said in answer to that question? He says, my, my children do not use devices. We, do, we limit the amount of technology in their lives, and they have never touched an iPad. And it had been available, right, in prototypes. Bill Gates... Kids were limited to 45 minutes maximum of internet use per day. And we talked about that yesterday. It was, it was set at a certain time of the evening where it's screen-free before bed. And um, his, his children were not allowed cell phone use until 13, and that was for talking to their parents, not smartphone use as we would understand that today. The current CEO of Apple, Tim Cook, was asked about his nephew. He doesn't have children, but... What do, you, what do you think about children and media use? He said, I do not want my nephew on a social network, social media site at all. These entertainers and big names from the music industry to actors and screenwriters and filmmakers, they all came out in separate interviews and admitted that they do not allow their children to be exposed to the very media that they are a part of uh, producing, as you're seeing a theme coming here, right? Because it's immoral, because it's worldly. They wouldn't call it that necessarily, but they had strong standards for their kids. Adam Alter, the author of the book Irresistible, speaks of several video game designers that he interviewed for his book who off record admitted that they do not play certain highly addictive video games. And they're a part of the industry producing these video games, but they won't touch it themselves because they know how addictive that is. And that's not just for children, that's the adults. This is Alex Constantinople. She is the chief executive at the Out agency, which is a tech firm, and the, the, the journalist asked her about her kids and their media use. Her little children below age five, three and five-year-olds, have zero screen time at all, and her older children, it's a maximum of 30 minutes per day of, of quality media use. Then you ask the, the, the uh, young urban professionals in Silicon Valley, the 20-somethings, the 30-somethings who have little kids in their homes, and these are the guys who are the tech gurus. They are the ones who are designing the latest apps and features and social media sites, and they're working for Google and Yahoo and eBay. And these are the guys who know the tech industry and who build these platforms. It has become a, a stigma in Silicon Valley if, you, if your buddies realize your kid's using 
using the media, using the, the smart devices particularly. And like, hey man, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? Don't you know how this affects them? And they've become famous for having their nannies sign contracts requiring their children to be screen free during the day. And the nanny too, to actually be playing with and engaged with these kids. The people who are the most adamant about protecting children from excessive media use and any media use at very early ages are the very people who are making the media that our kids are consuming. Does that make everybody else go, hmm, what's going on here? You know what the most sought-after private school in Silicon Valley is? It's called the Waldorf School of the Peninsula. And the Waldorf School philosophy is get children outdoors and gardening and have them do number two pencils and chalk and chalkboards and no media. Zero educational media. We'll talk about ed tech on uh, Thursday and people of the book in the age of the app. I can't wait to present that one. That's a fun one. And so these guys are doing no ed tech until you get to the older ages. They'll introduce it in, in around age 12 and up. They'll have some, but zero for those earlier grades. Hmm, what's going on with these people that we don't know? What do they know that we, well, we can know it too. Here at MIT, this is Sherry Turkle, author of the book Alone Together. This is on the East Coast. She's surrounded by super techies and she says the same story here. She says, everybody's at a Montessori school or has rules about no computers at the dinner table, no computers at breakfast, no computers here, no computers there, no computers in the classroom. I mean, same story. Now, I want to underscore that we want to use good media in a positive way at the proper ages, in the proper quantities, with the right types of media at the right times of the day and all that. But the strictest people are these people, aren't they? The people who are making it. The screen, a dark consensus about screens and kids begins to emerge in Silicon Valley, New York, New York Times article, where they come out and say the people who are closest to a thing are often the most wary of it. Technologists know how phones really work, and many have decided they don't want their children anywhere near them. A wariness that has been slowly brewing is turning into a region-wide consensus. The benefits of screens as a learning tool are overblown, and the risks of addiction, we'll talk about that tomorrow in Digital Pharmacia, the risks of addiction and stunting development seem high. It's the Silicon Valley disconnected childhood. We have access to the same information, actually. I'm going to show you a lot of research and information. So what they know, we can all know as well. One mother was interviewed in this article, another uh, uh, wife of a, uh, one of these tech um, engineers, and her three- and five-year-olds have also, just like uh, Alex Constantinople, don't use devices themselves. She'll have a limitation of one video that they view together as a family per week. And so when we think about these questions that we put on the screen yesterday, and I'm not going to be able to answer every one of these, but that we'll be able to think through them, and you can come up, God will provide an answer for every single one of us, and what's the right balance for each family with, each, with our children at the various ages they're at and so on. But these questions right here, what kinds of media at what ages on what types of devices are being answered in a, in a strong way by these people? And one thing that that, that mother did is it was it was, it was viewing of a program once a week for 30 minutes max. And that's a very limited quantity when we think about the, uh, the duration of use. But it was as children are getting older, we want to ask tough questions about these early, early years as well. Because the American Academy of Pediatrics has for many years said that children under two should have zero screen time at all. 
that's been a, a strong stand they've taken. Now, when they, they get a little older, they, they get a little more loose about it. In fact, the AAP came out a couple years ago and they said, look, 96.6% of preschoolers and toddlers are using mobile devices. And so we better not be so hard on people. We better loosen up our recommendations. I was like, no, you guys are the guardians of childhood. You're supposed to be for the culture. So the World Health Organization came out just last, year, last month. And I was like, way to go. Woohoo. They came out and said, Okay, we, we get it for, you know, babies and toddlers, but, but we need to think more seriously about this two to five age range as well. And they said, the less, the better. So in other words, if we can move closer to that zero or that 30 minutes a week that that mom was doing, but then you might say, well, in media on the brain, Scott, I've heard, heard you talk about how, you know, television media and videos can be harmful to brain development. We're going to actually hit on that in just a second. It's all a question of what type of media be, is being used. Uh, it's, it's, the consensus is coming in that interactive screen devices and video games during childhood are, are, are really causing a lot of problems. But less so of a problem would be a, a, a slow-paced, or maybe we should use naturally-paced, um, video presentation for kids as they're getting older. We're not talking about toddlers and preschoolers here, but older kids viewing uh, periodically short periods together, we would say absolutely spiritual, informational, not for entertainment purposes, but slower paced media isn't going to be reducing attention span like we saw yesterday and giving us all the attention span of a goldfish and so on. They've shown in studies that something like cartoons will reduce attention span. I'll talk about that in a second. But a slower paced um, informational program like uh, Mr. Rogers, not to endorse that particular program, but that was in the studies that that's not causing attention span problems quite like the other. But we still don't want to take that and go now park the kids in front and watch the slow paced stuff for, you know, hours a day because that's going to be, they're going to be missing out on something better. So let's go with the World Health Organization. The less, the better during those early years. But as we do get to those older years, maybe some of these tech people have it right. And how about just going with the desire of ages quote? Can I say it again from yesterday? The more quiet and simple the life of the child, the more free from artificial excitement, and the more in harmony with nature, the better it is for spiritual and mental development and, and character. And so that is our standard. We don't need to go with AAP and WHO and, you know, what the Scott Ritzema thinks. Let's just go with what the Desire of Ages says, right? The more quiet and simple the life of the child, the more free from artificial excitement and the more in harmony with nature. So early childhood screen-free is going to just be awesome if we can go there. Now, one thing about these two guys that I failed to mention earlier and I want to bring up right now is when they were asked by these journalists, I'm speaking of Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, when they were asked about how their families do life, one thing they said is, in our home, the way we do things is we insist on mealtime together. It's a very important part of our day as a family. We have meals together. And we talk about meaningful things as a family. That reminds me of this restaurant that posted this. We do not have Wi-Fi. Talk to each other. Pretend it's 1995. It's, it's a lost art, right? To look at each other at the dinner table. They studied this actually at Penn State University and they found even, even couples going on a date, when you are on a date and you have your phone, there is a correlation between more technoference, is what they call it in the relationship, technoference, and, and lower relationship satisfaction. So in other words, the more you're getting fubbed, you know that word, snubbed with your phone? And you're like, you're not paying attention to me. You're on your phone, the lower the relationship quality. No surprise there. You don't need research study to tell you that, but they're charting that this is increasing. And in the home, at the University of Michigan study, they call this one, 
contamination of the family environment. They say the presence of parents on their phone, kids on their phone, people ignoring each other is contaminating the environment of the home relationally and socially. I love it when researchers just come out and say it. They're like, it's contaminating the environment in the home. Now, does God have the answer to this? He does. We don't need to look to Steve Jobs and Bill Gates for how to do life. God has embedded this right in Deuteronomy 6 in the greatest commandment in the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And parents, talk about these things with your children as you rise up and lie down, as you walk by the way, as you sit. Do you remember this scripture? It's a very important scripture. Talk about the word of God with your children. We're talking to each other. As we sit, where do we sit? Well, what does it say in in Psalm 128, verse 3? It says, The children will rise up like olive plants, round about our tables. Round about our table, where we sit. Do you see the Bible speaking of mealtime here? This is something that is establishing the health message, manners and courtesies, and conversational and social etiquettes. These are very important for child development, for them to learn how to engage as, as human beings in God's plan for them. So God says, talk about these things as you sit, and as you walk by the way, and as you lie down and rise up, there's morning and evening worship. So we don't want to let media crowd out these important aspects of family life, but you know the devil wants to do that. I mean, that's his goal. He wants to disrupt the family. What does it say in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3? It says that the children will become disobedient to parents. And it says natural affections will even begin to wane. I mean, what's the most natural affections that we have? It's the love of parent and child. And it says in the last days that will start to go away. Doesn't it say the love of many will wax cold? Doesn't it say that in the last days, Jesus says, it will be two against three and three against two and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Are you hearing prophecies about an assault on the family in the last days? You never realized those prophecies were speaking about media use in large part. I mean, that is what we are dealing with to disrupt that family and divide that family environment to the point where less than one in 15 parents today is interacting with their children at least 50% of the time when they are in the home together. It's almost nobody. One in 15. And the children themselves, they did a study of the children using their media devices and whether the parents are going to interact with their children while they're doing their video game or their tablet or whatever. And they found the majority of parents, you know how much interaction they had with their children? Zero. Not like a little less than we should. Not, you know, kind of in the middle. Not very little. Zero interaction with the children during their times of childhood media use when the parents, for the majority of parents. And the, the children spend twice as long on their smartphones as talking to their parents. 80% of parents have zero restrictions on their children's use of media. Did you hear that? 80% of parents have no restrictions at all, no boundaries at all. It becomes an unmitigated disaster in the home. Feds spend $440,885 for robots to tell preschoolers stories. Because when we're not looking at each other, mealtime, family time, talking, playing, doing things together, well, who's going to read to the children? Who's going to teach them sociability? We need social robots. Yes, that will be the solution to our problems That's an oxymoron if I've ever heard one before. Social robot. Two words that contradict an oxymoron. A robot robot cannot be social, can it? It can pretend to be. I'm going to talk more about that next year. Another series on media coming out next year, Lord willing, called Technocracy. Thinking about AI, computerization and gamification and uh, roboticization. But enough on that. 
I couldn't believe that headline when I read it, but this is the real thing. There is such a thing as social robots because of children being glued into their devices, and they are lacking those social skills and those language skills that we need to be teaching them through interaction. Now half of families text each other in the same house. Experts say tech craze could have a catastrophic effect on family life. Again, the researchers are just coming out and saying it. It's technoference. It's contaminating. It's catastrophic. And then the media mind just is alone. We are disconnected. That's why this session is called The Disconnected Childhood. We are diagnosing a problem of a disconnected home, as Jesus said would happen, two against three and three against two. But the good news is the mind of Christ can become reconnected. God has the answer to this. It's in Malachi 4. You might not have ever noticed this. In Malachi 4, it speaks of this crisis in the family because it says in a very hopeful and positive way, the very last verse in the Old Testament, it says the hearts of the children will be turned to the hearts of the fathers and the hearts of the fathers will be turned to the hearts of the children before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So this is a last day's prophecy saying the family will reunite in God's plan for his remnant people. Is that good news? Is that hopeful? Can you say amen to that prophecy? I love that prophecy. Some of the prophecies are ominous and it's like, oh, Lord, come soon and wars and rumors of wars and all of this. But Jesus says you can reconnect You can restore that family unit and help those children of the last days to become the ones that finish the work. But the enemy is wroth with the remnant of her seed, right? So this has been going on since before I was, you know, since I was a little child. I remember reading about James U. McNeil, the pioneer of marketing directly to children, because you have a big industry of multimedia complex targeting the children. And back in the 70s and 60s and before, that wasn't legal. That wasn't allowed. Uh, Regulatory law prohibited advertisers from targeting children directly. But James U. U. McNeil said, you know what, we can go for the children. This is how we do it. He says, the consumer embryo begins to develop during the first year of existence. Children begin their consumer journey in infancy, and they certainly deserve consideration as consumers at that time. Does that make anybody else's blood boil a little bit? Like righteous indignation, protect the children? This is what's said in the corporate establishment of our age. Your little infant in the first year of existence is considered a consumer. How much more? You remember at the time of the Exodus, it was gather your children into your homes and put that blood on the doorpost. And we must be a protective agency, putting up a firm barrier, as it says in Adventist Home, between us and the world. Because there are agendas like Lucy Hughes. This was amazing because she was, she was giving herself a softball question in an interview uh, for a documentary. And you figure she's going to make this sound so nice and good, this nefarious industry targeting the children. She goes, somebody asked me, Lucy, is that ethical? you're essentially manipulating these children. So she's asking herself the question, well, is it ethical? So you figure you're going to get some pretty, you know, spot, spotless uh, PR here, right? Her answer to her own question, is this ethical to manipulate the children in this way? She's like, I don't know. That's the best we've got. But our role at Initiative Media is to move products. And if we know you move products with a certain creative execution, placed in a certain type of media vehicle, then we've done our job. Children are tomorrow's consumer, tomorrow's adult consumer. So start talking with them now. Build that relationship when they're younger. That's slightly creepy. And you've got them as an adult. This is making it sound as good as possible. You can only imagine how it's spoken of behind closed doors. 
I was sitting on an airplane a while back and it broke my heart because I heard the advertising to get the parents to buy the in-flight entertainment for the children and the tagline was, parents, keep the kids happy for hours on end. Yes, ignore each other for hours on end and have them bathed and immersed in entertainment for hours, altering their thinking, their worldview, their choices, their, their, their capacity to think, their attention span. I mean, so many things we will talk about and have talked about. But since 1984, children's spending has increased 35% per year. 1984 was when they deregulated, a la um, uh, Mr. McNeil and his recommendation to target children. They said, sure, why not? Let's let them do it. And they did it. And now children spending through the roof. And they call it the nag factor. They say, we got to just get the kids to nag the parents to buy the stuff and the McDonald's and the candy and the, the excessive toys and all that. And then we've done our job. They are adult consumers of tomorrow and we got to get them while they're young. So, so so, so you get the parents to buy the stuff, $700 billion per year is spent by parents for things for the children, most of which they probably don't need. Nothing wrong with buying things for children, but this is a, that's, by the way, the combined total value of 115 countries, entire economies. So you, you come up with 115 countries in the, in the world and look at the sum value of all of their, their economy, and that's what American children spend per year, per year, parents spending on their children. But you might say, okay, this is, are they going a little over the top with the Silicon Valley people? I mean, can't the little children learn from these devices? Can't they be educational in a, in a way? We'll talk more about that Thursday, but right now, Dr. Dimitri Christakis is probably the foremost expert on child, very young childhood media use. And he talked about this in a, in a 60 Minutes episode where he, where he was interviewed as the leading expert on this, and he says, what we do know about babies playing with iPads is that they don't transfer what they learn from the iPad to the real world. You saw yesterday the baby getting the magazine and does not know what to do with it and is trying to tap it and swipe it and, and wait, this magazine is not working because it's not like the iPad, right? So they, they can't discern reality from fantasy. They're over in the iPad world and they're doing a block stacking app. And you're like, yeah, we're teaching little Johnny to stack blocks and he's going to be a whiz kid because he's using technology from the time he's a baby. The problem with that is in experiments and research on this, they take Johnny and put him with a real block surround him and he doesn't know what to do with them. He has, he's learned, in, in Dimitri Christakis's words, they start all over. They've learned nothing from that online experience. He goes on also and explains how young children, when they're attached to these devices, they get so excited about it, so enamored with it, they become addicted to it, get this, more than teenagers. And you know about teenage brain development, that's prime window for addiction problems coming in if we, if we get into worldly things at that age. Even the little children are exceeding the teenagers with addictive um, uh, uh, symptoms, uh, symptoms of addiction in their media use. And so in, in a research study, they took little kids and they had them play with uh, you know, a toy and then they had them play with an iPad. And they wanted to see how well they could give up their cherished item. And they found when it's a toy, a physical toy, a third of them would have a hard time giving it up. You know, they'd have a little tantrum event there because the researcher would go, may I take that toy from you and take it? And no, man, right? A third of them. When it was an iPad, the majority of them would tantrum. So you can see the symptoms of addiction right there. And we'll talk about the multi-billion dollar industry tomorrow in digital pharmacia that is designed to get the children hooked on these things and all of us hooked on these things so that we don't, so they're overruling our ability to regulate our own choices. Another study found that just one hour per day of interactive screen use with children ages two to five was increasing their mental health 
problems across the board. We're talking anxiety, depression, ADHD, and all these, all these named things. They went up significantly with just one hour of this time. And we're talking about, what did we see yesterday? The average two to five-year-old is four hours of screen time per day. And they're doing as much screen time by the age of seven as an entire year of their lives. Now let's go back to some throwback stuff. Media on the brain, we were talking about things like TV and, and, and cartoons and stuff, not as much about interactive screen devices. But what is that on the screen? What show is that, do you know? That's called SpongeBob, like the most popular children's cartoon, right? So they had four-year-olds watch nine minutes of SpongeBob. Just nine minutes. That's not going to affect them. It's just nine minutes, right? Watch this. It reduced their attention span after viewing. It impaired their memory. It reduced their ability to delay gratification. And it increased aggressive behavior. And so when I go back to this, for what purposes? If we're going to be using screens at all as an informational and spiritual amplification of everything else we are doing in the real, natural, non-virtual world, we want to make sure that it's not for just entertainment purposes. If it's just to stimulate and entertain, that's going to cause all of these mental health problems and addictions we're going to talk about as well tomorrow. So we want it non-theatrical. We want it non-cartoon. We want it, I, I called it slow-paced earlier, or nature-paced is probably a better way to put it. And at older ages and in limited quantities, and, and I'm not going to lay down the exact prescription for that, but you know, look into the research for yourself and ask the Lord, you know, when, what kinds of things should we bring in at what ages? But you know, it's, what is it about cartoons that are so you know, reducing to the attention span and increasing aggressive behavior? I mean, it's not a violent cartoon necessarily. Why is it increasing aggressive behavior? Why is it increasing... Um, uh, they're, 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 um, they're decreasing their attention spans. It's the sudden scene changes, the rapid movements, the stark bright contrast in the colors. In fact, researchers have talked about this in, in the flash rate, how often a new image appears on the screen. We talked about that yesterday. The choice of colors, patterns, and contrast causing problems for children. But even something like a simple game show you know, we saw yesterday that two-thirds of kids are growing up in a home where the TV is on the majority of the time, and they've looked at little children, preschool-aged children, when just it's just a game show. It's not even flashing at you and stimulating you. And they found that these kids play with their toys significantly less. In fact, they, when, they, when you turn the game show off, they spend twice as much time engaged in physical play, which is huge for child development, right? I mean, have you ever read in child guidance that children find diversion and development in play. And so they develop through play, not through sitting there staring at the screen. But the game show is reducing by 50% their engagement in the real play because they just start staring at that screen and playing with their toys much less. Now you remember that CNN article that we kind of got a good laugh out of yesterday where it was like children today don't have any less screen time than they did in the 80s and the television is so calming and brings joy to the home. Okay, another thing that article points out, it's like, well, hey, we were all raised with TV and we turned out fine. Now, there's several fallacies embedded in that line of reasoning. First of all, fine compared to what? Do you have the same version of yourself having been raised as a control group to be able to compare, right? Which one is clearer? One or two, right? If you weren't here yesterday, just ignore that, what I just did right there. Anyway, um, I don't have time to repeat it. And another fallacy is the media is different now than it was in the 80s, in the 70s, in the 60s, and even the 90s. It's more fast-paced. We've got bigger screens, brighter lights, faster-paced, HD, and all of this is overstimulating the developing brain in a major way, hyper-arousing stuff that alters their nervous system in significant ways. Also, speaking of being critically thinking and getting this crazy stuff thrown our way, I was reading the, the most respected American Academy of Pediatrics, and they said... Well-designed television programs, such as Sesame Street, 
That made me skeptical. But well-designed television programs such as Sesame Street can improve cognitive, literacy, and social outcomes for children aged three to five years of age. Now, I've seen a lot of research on one hour of television per day for three to five-year-olds is increasing mental health problems. And I'm like, hmm, let's, let's click on the citation at the end of that sentence and see what the study actually says. Is this being represented accurately? Well, when you click on it, you go to the abstract and read what the abstract is. And it's just saying this was the methodology of the study, and here's what we did. We compared the average, the rest of the population of children with children who were only watching Sesame Street. Now, what is this control group doing with their time? They're watching SpongeBob, aren't they? So you're comparing Sesame Street viewing versus SpongeBob viewing and such programs like that. Well, that doesn't mean that you're going to get improved outcomes from Sesame Street then versus nature exposure and time with parents and physical play and labor and all of that. That was a, that was a false comparison. So we got to be thinkers, not mere reflectors of other men's thoughts. The way this statement sounded was like you can maximize children's development by giving them one hour of of Sesame Street per day when they're three to five, you're not going to maximize it by having them watch. It's not even correct, or, or Mr. Rogers for that matter. So um, back to this thing of increased aggressive behavior. I wanted to bring this up because people have been debating and going back to the video game industry propaganda, and they say, you know what, video games aren't going to increase violence and aggressive behavior. Well, this was asked in a, in a research study, do video games make children more pr prone to violence? Great question, right? So researchers conducted a thorough meta-analysis analysis of 24 studies. That's the goal. You're doing a study of the studies, so you can get all of the wide range of the information on this. And this is locations around the world from 2010 to 2017. 17,000 participants of children aged 9 to 19 years old. And what did they find about children playing video games? Is it going to increase aggressive behavior? They found that children who play violent video games show an increased tendency toward physical aggressive behavior. So it's kind of settled, video game industry propaganda aside. And if you ask Dr. Dunkley, author of Reset Your Child's Brain, she says that the, the, the amount of violence in the game is a pretty minimal factor, actually. You're going to get aggressive responses and ADHD problems out of just video game play, period, because it's hyper-arousing to the nervous system and causing maldevelopment in the brain. And there's research also supporting that. But that study showed the, um, the effects of violent video games in a major way. So the media mind is aggressive and even more prone to violence. The mind of Christ is self-control. Isn't that one of the fruits of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And that's what God wants for us and for all of our children. So God has the answer to this. He always has the answer to all of these media problems. It's in His Word. It's in the spirit of prophecy. And if you think about what should childhood look like, not bathed in media, not constantly entertained, what would most of childhood be comprised of? How about this? Parents, nature, play, labor, and books. That's most of childhood, isn't it? For a good quality upbringing. Parents, nature, play, labor, and books. And media crowds all of that out. Even if media was totally harmless, you would not be getting the benefits that you get from these because you don't have the time for these because the media is crowding out the time for these things. Let's go to nature. Dr. Dunkley talks in her book about green environments, how research studies have shown again and again and again and again that when you get kids out in nature, aggressive acts drop. It increases their attention span. It increases their impulse control. I've witnessed that firsthand. I taught 
a, a year at a public school, inner city public school, and that school had a camp outside the city. And we, I taught sixth grade, and the sixth graders got to go for an overnight at the camp, and they'd go out there and play. And these kids were sometimes really coming from rough backgrounds, and they were struggling in the classroom. You got them outside, and all of a sudden, they're totally different in terms of their character, their attention span, their aggressive acts, and all of that. Speaking of impulse control, can I talk about that with video games as well? Because I remember hearing the propaganda where the video game industry was like, hey, look, Video gamers are going to become great drivers. They'll be great behind the wheel because they're learning visual spatial reasoning and quick reaction times. And they're going to be just like, you're going to have a generation of people who are excellent on the road. But then the research is done and they find people who play more video games are more reckless drivers on the road. And well, what is that reckless driving? It's not visual spatial reasoning and reaction time. It's impulse control. It's executive functioning. It's being able to regulate your emotions. You get frustrated about something and your frontal lobe has been damaged through the media and you flip off the handle and get upset. So anyway, the media mind is impulsive. The mind of Christ, deliberate, self-control, thoughtful, deliberate in our actions. Now we see it in our kids. We see it in the research and we're working on the kids screen time issue. I'm not here to preach at anybody like, you know, I got it all together. We're working on this. We're all working on this. But now I really got to preach to myself because now we got to talk about the parental media use issue. They have a name for it. And as soon as everybody hears this name, you're like, oh, I do that. I feel convicted. It's called continuous partial attention. It's called little Susie says, mommy, mommy, look at the rock I found. And she's like, Oh, yeah, that's neat. Uh, and then I'm back on here, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, you know, he's just engrossed in play over there. The baby's doing his thing. I just got a quick check. It might be something important over here on social media or whatever that might be. And then you look up and he's like looking at you. How long has the baby been leaving, staring at me like that? I thought he was totally engrossed in play. No, this baby is so many months removed from living inside the womb of this mother. And then it's like a cord and then you cut the cord and then he's like that far away. And then over time, it's a, they're, oh, they, they're not oblivious to where mom is. We just saw that this afternoon. I was like, I lost track of my, my baby girl. It's like she was standing right by me and then she was gone. Well, my wife was right over there and I instantly knew she had Walked over to mom. I looked, yep, she walked over to mom. It's like a magnet, right? They're aware. And when we are on, I did this with my, with my baby one time. I got up in the morning and I got on my phone to check the weather and she's crawling around in the, in, in the kitchen. And I'm like, just, just checking the weather, right? I mean, this isn't video games. This, but I look up, she's crawling toward the cabinets where my wife had laid out mouse traps the night before. And I said, I dropped the phone. I'm running over. I pick her up that quick. And she did not get snapped. She did not get injured. Please don't call Child Protective Services on me. I, I try to be a good parent. But anyway, um, we do this. We do this. And, and researchers are starting to call it secondhand screen time. You might be like media-free childhood, right? But we're on our devices all the time. And the kids get impacted by that, like secondhand smoke. The secondhand screen time. So one thing our family did for a while, we got to get back to that, at what locations? We said, let's not have the phones in the house, in the living room, in the kitchen all the time. Let's have the hook. Remember, did you see the picture of the telephone there? That's a telephone, an actual one, right, that you would have in the wall. And then if it came off, it would go eh, 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 like that. Put that thing back on the hook. So we created a hook for our, for our smartphones. And we put the phones back at the charging station in the office. And we said they stay there when we're having family worship, when we're having mealtime. These are not, it's not going to buzz from, you know, 20 feet away. Now I'm thinking of that instead of what I'm doing here. So parental media use is as big an issue as childhood media use for their development. A Korean couple let a baby die while they played a video game. 
That headline broke my heart. I could not believe I was seeing that. And I know that's an isolated case. This isn't you know, a massive widespread uh, trend, but it should never happen. It should be zero times that a couple is playing their video game and they're raising a baby in the video game, a fake world, a simulated reality, a counterfeit world that the devil has devised for people to live in to escape from God's reality and his plan and purpose for our lives. And they're raising a baby oh so carefully and well while their actual baby is not being fed and dies of, of malnutrition. That is unbelievable to me. And then just our, our daily experience, the average kid, not the one who's dying from that situa- extreme situation, but the average kid today, when they're getting this, the, the continuous partial attention, they're got, not getting the attention they're desiring and needing for their development. It's an amygdala reaction in the brain, in the fear centers and the anxiety centers of the brain. And they're overactivating that, that fear and anxiety center and developing a more anxious view of themselves. And where do I fit in this whole scheme here? Because I just looked for love and affirmation and connectedness and bondedness and didn't get it. And an anxiety response goes off in the amygdala the moment that their overture for attention is not met. Even dogs might get depressed when owners overuse smartphones. I know this is about the disconnected childhood, but I had to throw that in there because we are so glued to these devices. Everybody around us, even our pets, gets ignored. But how do we get spiritual development happening in this world of screens? That's the ultimate thing we're going for in these these little ones, right? Spiritual development. Research has been done on this. They did a meta-analysis of all the different studies on child development and spiritual things. And you don't want to know what the number one factor, the number one factor above every every other one, they are all important, but the number one factor that will increase the likelihood for children accepting and believing the faith of their parents would be that the spiritual truths handed down to them were given in an atmosphere of relational warmth and connectedness. Let me say that again. Our home is filled with relational warmth and connectedness. And the devices do this as the prophecies said they would. But the prophecy says it's going to do this. Will it happen in our homes? Will we put boundaries around these devices so we can fulfill this part of the prophecy and the hearts of the children will turn to the hearts of the fathers and the hearts of the fathers to the hearts of the children and we get that bond happening again and we can raise the remnant. I was speaking to a room full of teachers last summer at the NAD Teachers Convention and I asked them for a show of hands. How many of you guys have seen decreases in children's attention spans, intelligence, curiosity and motivation and character and integrity and um, perseverance and, and sociability and language skills. And I just went down the list of everything we're looking for. Every hand went up for every one of those things that I asked about. And they, I said, in the last five or ten years, how many of you have seen these things drop? And I said, if you haven't been teaching that long, then just guess. But every hand went up for every one of those things. And the, the thing I'm hearing the most for people who are in the trenches with the kids these days. I talked to a daycare professional. She's been in daycare for 50 years. She says, Scott, the number one change that I've seen in the last decade or two has been a decrease in sociability and eye contact and ability to have a conversation. And preschool teachers tell the same thing to researchers. They say, the kids... They don't know how to have conversation. They, ought to, they know how to swipe a phone, but don't have a clue about conversations. But that social intelligence and that emotional intelligence can be restored. Does God have the answer to this? Oh, of course, the answer is yes again. 
They did a study, University of California, Los Angeles, and they took kids out of the city, out of their school for five days in nature as a, at a camp retreat. Before the five days began, they tested the children for their emotional intelligence abilities. How do you read facial expressions and bodily gestures and vocal tones and read people's emotions and understand and have empathy for others' feelings, all of that. They tested that before the five days and after the five days, and they found just five days of nature exposure and no media was increasing their emotional intelligence. That's awesome, right? That's good news. Now, here's some sad news. I got to go back, and I know this is like a roller coaster for you. It's like, man, this, the devil's doing a number, but God has the answer. But listen to now the heart cry of the children who speak in interviews with Dr. Catherine Steiner Adair in her book, The Big Disconnect, how these little children in school, when she interviews them about their parents' media use, what do they say? I'm going to read them to you from my notes. Colin, age 12, says, there are definitely some parts that make it seem like they're really addicted to their phones. And I feel like my dad is definitely with his computer. I mean, if he's like awake at one, he'll check on the dog and then he'll look at his computer and be on it till like five. And he'll think it was like five minutes and then the next day he's really tired. Angela, age 13, says, what I wish my parents understood is that technology isn't the whole world. It's annoying because it's like you also have a family. How about we just spend some time together? And they're like, wait, I need to just check something on my phone. I need to call work and see what's going on. Carlos, age 13, says, when they're on the computer or something, it's always like they're entranced by it. They are addicted to it, and they just do it all the time. Tyler, age 7, says, my mom is almost always on the iPad at dinner. She's always just checking. Penny, age seven, says, I always keep on asking her, let's play, let's play. And she's always texting on her phone. Owen, age nine, says, once my dad was ignoring my mom so bad for like 30 minutes, so I sat on his keyboard. I got sent to my room. I was just trying to help my mother. I got in trouble, though. Ava, age seven, says, a lot of time at home when my parents are home and on their computers, I feel like I'm not there. Because they pretend like I'm not there. They're not even talking to me. They're just ignoring me. I feel like, ah, uh, sad. Annabelle, age seven, says, my parents are always on their computers and on their cell phones. It's very, very frustrating, and I get lonely inside. When my dad is on the phone, I have this conversation in my head. Hello, remember me? Remember who I am? I am your daughter. You had me because you wanted me, only it doesn't feel like that right now. Right now it feels like all you care about is your phone. But I don't say that because they'll get mad at me. It doesn't help. It feels worse. So it's just the conversation I have with myself. Does that not break your heart? And God has the answer. It says in child guidance, to be a child with your children, enter into their little games. It says they should be free as lambs. It says make their lives as happy as possible. But it was predicted 40 years ago in the book, The Disappearance of Childhood by Neil Postman. He said, we are seeing the evaporation, the complete disappearance of what was once called childhood. The things I mentioned earlier, nature, play, labor, parents, books. He says, with so much television viewing in the late 70s and early 80s, children are losing and missing out on childhood. And 40 years later now, was he right? He was more than right. 
A third of childhood is now spent in front of a screen. A third of childhood is spent sleeping and roughly a third in desks and doing homework with marginal little bits to do anything else other than sit in a desk, look at a screen, or sleep. Three quarters of children spend less time outdoors than prison inmates spend outdoors. We are building literally a virtual prison for our children, although they're not the criminals, are they? We are if we're allowing this. This is The Last Child in the Woods by Richard Liu. He points out in this book studies about how the majority of children in surveys say that they have never climbed a tree before. Think about that. The majority of children, pretty much everybody in here as an adult probably grew up in a time where 95% of kids had climbed a tree by the time they were age 11. The majority of kids today, age 11, have never climbed a tree before. And the researchers in that same survey, after they were done talking to the kids, they would say, hey, when they did focus groups of them, would you like to go visit the park when we're done with our experimenting here? Only a third of them wanted to go to the park. The rest of them are like, can I get back to my video games? Like the kids yesterday in the video clip you saw where they're like, yeah, I, play, I watch five hours of TV, play video games for five hours straight, straight back to back. And I, I have a dog and a sister and I'm like lost in this world of the media. The average child today spends twice as much time uh, um, playing video games alone than all outdoor activities combined. Talk about a virtual prison. This is what Dr. Nicholas Cardaris, author of the book Glow Kids, stated. He said, kids raised with screens in his research and his experimenting, um, in his practice, he's, he's a practitioner of um, childhood uh, development and child psychology. He says, kids raised with screens in his practice were almost universally what I like to call uninterested and uninteresting. <laughs> Bored and boring. He says they lacked a natural curiosity and a sense of wonder and imagination that non-screen kids seem to have. When you saw that kid running through the woods and the tree is shaking with the water falling on him and he's going like that, you're like, that's the wonder that nature brings out. God created that, especially for children. Our kids were, were doing bu uh, bubbles up there with a the guy with the fishing poles and he's making these massive bubbles and the kids are running around jumping the, these big shining orbs and it's just like joy of childhood that brings out the natural sense of wonder God has given to us. He says they've become bored. We'll talk more about boredom later, but he says they become boring. They have no sense of wonder. They didn't know or care to know what was happening around them in the world. All that seemed to drive them was a perpetual need to be stimulated and entertained by their digital devices. So the media mind is bored and boring. The mind of Christ, curious and inquisitive. It hungers and thirsts for knowledge. The media mind is immersed in a counterfeit reality. The mind of Christ is awake to the wonders of God's reality. The media mind is enclosed in a virtual prison. The mind of Christ is fully alive. That's what it means to be human again. For our little children and for all of us, we never outgrow our need of nature. We never outgrow our need of that social communion and that love and affirmation that children so desperately need. And so let us be a part of the solution. Let each one of us breathe hope and life into the families in our community that we can have a higher standard. It's not a condemning thing like, what are you doing? You know, it's, hey, let's do a nature outdoor education program. I got to tell you the story about the pastor teacher I spoke with. I'll do that tomorrow because I'm going to run out of time, but about, about outdoor experiences with kids. I want to close with prayer that each one, the prayer and the hope that each one of us would see our place in this and what we can do to encourage more of the good and also educate about the effects of so much media and its effects on the family. So would you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer? 
Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the plan and design that you've given for the family unit and the joy that that brings and the, the promise and the hope of finishing the work with this last generation before Jesus returns. And we just ask that you would give us inspiration to take action and to just love these little children, to bring them out of the doldrums of that media addiction. Help us in our, in our Sabbath schools and in our schools and in our homes to catch the vision that you have for these little ones. Lord, we just, it breaks our hearts to hear about these, these sad and broken homes and situations, even though the family is intact. It's a divided home in this dis disconnected age in which we live. And so, Lord, please help us to take the, the steps and have the courage to disconnect from time to time from our media so that we can have that reconnectedness that prophecy speaks of. We pray for the courage to step forward and set those boundaries for our children so that they're developing in a healthy and natural way for their spirituality and their character and their happiness. Help us to take the courage and steps in our own media use so we can be a good example and model uh, good, good balance with our media use and, and reconnect in that, in that environment we find ourselves in in our homes. And for those of us who don't have kids, with our, with our, with our spouses and with, with friends and brothers and sisters in the church, help us to put our eyes upon Jesus and upon one another as we show interest in Christ's method alone to reach the hurting souls. And Lord, we also ask that you'd give us wisdom on how to use media to, to reach out and to do good. We want to find the right balance as you lead us. And we just ask for that discernment. We ask for that, that wisdom and courage to face the reality of what it is we've gotten ourselves into now and how we can find ourselves in a better path and on a better journey by your leading. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.